This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have a broadcast from September 17th, 1943 from New York radio station WOR. It features former New York Mayor Jimmy Walker reading V-Mail to the audience. V-Mail, the shorthand for victory mail, was a system put in place during the war to expedite delivery of mail to and from military serving overseas and at the same time save valuable shipping space. Senators would fill out a special form available at the post office or other locations to ensure that letters were of the same size and shape. Letters were then sent to postal centers in the United States so they could be photographed and put on film. The film was then transported overseas where the letters would be printed for distribution. 1,600 letters could be accommodated on each roll of film. From 1942 to when the program ended in 1945, more than 1 billion pieces of V-mail were processed. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcast, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ww2radio. Thanks for listening, and enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, WOR presents V-Mail with the Honorable James J. Walker, better known as Jimmy Walker, reading letters from men in the armed services overseas to their friends and relatives in this country. And now, Jimmy Walker. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. The lonesomest boy in the world is wearing a uniform. Buddies, excitement, even stark danger can't cure his lonesomeness and the indomitable courage that can face certain death unflinchingly is not strong enough to conquer the pangs of loneliness. There is but one cure, and it's a simple cure, an inexpensive cure, involving the cost of but a few moments of someone's time that might otherwise be idly spent. You don't need a degree, and you don't need a license to practice medicine for the cure. All you do need is paper and ink. Some of us might well shudder if we knew how many boys there are who never know the comfort, the solace, and the encouragement of a simple message from those at home or from someone over here. Shudder indeed if we knew what a big thing a little letter can be. Many a boy at the front 
who doesn't wear a purple heart decoration, has been wounded by the forgetfulness or the carelessness of friends and family. Well, here's a letter from a boy to a woman he has never met. He writes her because she wrote him. And she wrote him and because another soldier boy asked her to do so. The letter. Dear Rose Lily, first I want to apologize most humbly for not writing for such a long time. We've been on the move since early days of Casablanca. From there, we went to Vidalar on the Atlantic side of the French Morocco, a most beautiful spot with a beach nearby. But I think I've told you about that. And then to Rabat, Fez, Ouija, Oran, and Algiers. All extremely picturesque and tinged with exotic loveliness on one hand and the inimitable filth of Arab kasbahs on the other. From Algiers, with its occasional air raids, we flew across the Atlas Mountains to the edge of the Mediterranean Sea and along the coast to Bizet, where I penned these immortal lines. Ah, Bizet, you've read how the Yanks drove the Germans out of it and on down to the Bonn Peninsula. Well, the town is now a shambles. Nothing but an occasional house is now standing. And as a matter of fact, I'm billeted in one of these. And from my third floor balcony, I can see long lines of German prisoners of war marching to a ship a block from here. The harbor is full of ships, and the town is alive with soldiers, Americans, French, British, Senegalese, Moroccans, and there are also sailors and men of the merchant marine. There are no civilians, no cafes, no place to go for amusement, except our Red Cross Club. And there's nothing much there now. Is the place dull? Hades, no. We are visited almost every night by German bombers. We have survived some dashed uncomfortable attacks. Last Wednesday night, 80 of the so-and-sos kept us in foxholes from 9 o'clock until 1 in the morning. They're trying to get those ships and supplies before they move on toward Europe, trying to guess our next move. Well, this time I think I'll see France again. I hope so. Air raids are terrifying, but they're also awesomely beautiful. The lights and the flares, the traces illuminate the sky so that one is tempted to stand on a roof to watch the show. But that's too doggone dangerous. And then we have smoke pots in every other corner. And these soon belch forth such dense fumes the whole area is enveloped in gloom. And then we start coughing. Boy, it's uncomfortable, but at least we can't be seen by Jerry. All this while, our ships in shore positions are throwing shot and shell and rockets and flares into the sky. Sometimes above the smoke, a Jerry plane is caught in the lights and down it comes in flames. But enough of this. You just have to be in one to get the feel of it. And I hope it will never happen to Danbury. How is Loftus? Tell him I said the British Eighth Army is one of the world's all-time crack outfits. They are tough. That's a fact that any American soldier who has fought beside them is the first to admit and to praise. That's all now, Rosie. 
Sorry for not writing sooner. Best regards from Scotty. Now, Scotty, in gracious acknowledgement of his unknown friend's letter, says he hopes that a bombing raid such as he described never happens to the lady's native Danbury. Well, now, I'm sure Scotty won't mind if I rather stretch that territory to include the 48 states. Well, in spite of all the heartaches, the privations, and the incessant danger our boys endure, have you noticed that their sense of humor is not destroyed, not even disturbed? Americans love a laugh, even if it's on themselves. I have a letter that supports that assertion. A letter from Sergeant Robert L. Lewis, member of an ordnance company visiting in Sicily. Sergeant Lewis is a resident of Elmont, Nassau County, Long Island. He's an honor student graduate of Hamilton College and entered New York Law School, where he spent just two years when the draft board beckoned to him. Well, it wasn't the first call in his house. His two older brothers heard and answered the call before he did. As a matter of fact, it was a call within and without his own home. His father, you see, was chairman of the draft board. The letter from Sergeant Lewis was submitted to me by Sidney A. Hellenbrand, associated in the practice of law with Harold W. Hastings, distinguished former assistant district attorney for the county of New York. Sergeant Lewis's letter. Dear boss, your letter came at the most opportune time. That is, I have time to answer it. Until two weeks ago, the man with the tall hat had priorities on my time. He ordered me to conquer Sicily, yes, along with some other soldiers, and that's just what I did. At the present time, I'm enjoying the spoils. Our company is set up at what was the summer mansion of a fascist leader. Oh, it's one of those dream places. All marble and tile and richly furnished. You walk right out of the dining room into the orchards of lemon, olive, and almond trees. And if you don't get tired walking, you eventually come to the swimming pool. Such luxury is almost overwhelming. Well, after five months of sleeping on the ground, we find it difficult getting accustomed to the softness of a mattress and a bed. And the sudden transition from canned emergency rations to fresh meat and vegetables stunned us for a few brief moments. We're in the suburbs of a beautiful Sicilian city. It's parks, it's theaters, and its other amusements are all available to us. And best of all, my two brothers, who beat me overseas by a year, are within a few minutes walking distance of me. We passed each other at the front once, and I got a fleeting glimpse of them. But I suppose you can imagine that they were rather preoccupied at the time with other things. However, our conveniences now are only a compensation for what went before. We landed in Sicily quite informally, don't you know? Specifically, we jumped from a landing barge, scrambled up the beach, and dug in. I spent my first two days in a watermelon patch dodging missiles, and by the way, sending a few of my own. I ate the melons along with the Army's infamous sea ration, and I got myself into more tight scrapes than Mickey Rooney. I don't think I've ever been as frightened as the day I set out, or was sent out to appraise the damage of a tank knocked out in battle. I drove out in a jeep after dark. 
following the directions given me. At five miles, I should have discovered it. At nine miles, I knew I had taken the wrong route, so I started to turn around. As I did so, I saw the silhouette of a tank in a field, so I got out and walked over to it. And I was just about to go in through the top entrance when I discovered that the blankety-blank thing was a German tank. Well, I took off so fast, I don't think my feet even touched the ground. I got back to the Jeep, and over the hill, midst the most realistic Fourth of July celebration I've ever seen in my life. Well, the passage of time, or with the passage of time, the memory of the incident seems more humorous. But take my word for it, it didn't then. There were other experiences more ghastly, but there there was no choice but to endure them. I've seen things I never dreamed of seeing. And I've done things I never thought myself quite capable of doing. Ten minutes after we captured a winery, we were stepping over jerry bodies, breaking open the casks and bathing in aged marsala. Oh, Bacchus would have blushed with the comparative simplicity of his own production. This has been adventure indeed. I'm proud of the campaign ribbon and the star and the part we've played up to now. But, Gad, I'd give it all for one more look at Fritzy. Ladies and gentlemen, Fritzy is Sergeant Lewis's bride. We were only married two weeks before he sailed away. Well, she's back in Cleveland waiting and working for the Navy, and that's grand, too. I hope you don't mind my confidence, but we think that things are not quite right back there. Oh, we read about complaints on rationing and labor troubles and sawing prices and political motives, and we almost feel as though sometimes some of the folks are breaking faith with us. Perhaps if they could see into a soldier's mind They'd know that his only wish is to win, and then get home. I shall always have fond memories of those pleasant months with you, and I shall certainly take advantage of your invitation to come and see you after victory. Signed, Bob. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to leave you to George Willard while I'm on the upbeat of Sergeant Bob Lewis's letters. So for as far as I'm concerned, good night, and now... George Willard, please. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a letter which Jimmy Walker was reluctant to read out of modesty, but we feel it should be read. There may be those who believe we should not read the last letters of those boys who will never come back, those who believe it is too much of a strain on the heartstrings of parents. Two weeks ago tonight, Mr. Walker read two last letters of Pilot Officer Charles P. Meredith, Jr., a member of the American Eagle Squadron of the RAF. You'll remember, I'm sure, that Charlie Meredith was killed in a flight over Germany. Let me read you a letter from Charlie Meredith's father, written after the broadcast of two weeks ago. Honorable James J. Walker, W.O.R., New York, New York. Dear Mr. Walker, Immediately at the conclusion of your broadcast of last Friday evening and several times since, I have endeavored unsuccessfully to reach you by telephone to express our deep and profound appreciation of the sincere manner in which you read our Charlie's letter and the eloquence you brought forth in your portrayal of his unique philosophy. There is so much that can be said for Charlie and so little that need be said. 
And this fact has been made resoundingly obvious by the import of the message which you have voiced. Prior to the conclusion of your broadcast, the memory of Charlie, which had remained with his mother and me, was that of his farewell to us at Boston, Massachusetts, when he bade us so long and literally and figuratively left the earth. I've obtained a recording of your all-too-brief reading and eulogy, and we have listened carefully to the wealth of meaning you have imparted to the letters he wrote. With your voice, fraught with the understanding and sincerity which is yours, you have succeeded in bringing him to us, and we are grateful to God for the inspiration which prompted me to resort to you to lend expression to our feelings, a gift which you so ably possess. We glory in the comfort that you have brought our boy nearer to us and the fact that you personally have established permanent residence in the hearts of the family Meredith. It appears blatant and inane to say thank you. You must know how we feel. Signed sincerely, C.P. Meredith, Beechhurst, Long Island, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a letter that you think Mr. Walker would like to read, a letter from a boy or girl in service, a letter that contains some inspirational message, Mr. Walker would like to read that letter. All originals will, of course, be returned. Address James Walker, W.O.R. New York, 18 New York. This is Mutual. <laughs>